Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you today for the precious gift of life and salvation that you have given to us through Jesus. Salvation has come, and he has a name. His name is Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for the way you have rescued us and that when we sing a song like Hosanna, we don't have to sing that song expectantly waiting for the day when you save us, but, God, we see that you have already done that through Christ. And we look forward to the day when we can see you face to face as you return and you redeem and you heal this entire world for the glory of Jesus Christ. We worship you today and we praise you for your goodness and your grace. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm Pastor Daniel and you have been blessed by God to be here today because we are having our first ever child dedication service at Connection Church. Is that exciting? It's okay to clap in our church. I didn't know if you knew that. We're going to get the show on the road. At this time, I would like to invite the parents and the children that know they're supposed to come up right now to go ahead and come up right now as we start our child dedication ceremony. So come forward. Is he asleep? The beautiful thing about doing stuff like this with children is that you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Fantastic. Everyone's here and accounted for, right? Today we are here to dedicate these children to God, for the parents to commit to raising them in the Lord, and for our church to join in also and to encourage and help both the parents and the children to grow in the Christian faith. We come, that pray, we come praying that God would draw each child to himself, and they would use, use them for his pure and perfect will in their lives, and that God's will would be done, not only in their lives, but also in their parents'. I want to read to you the covenant promises that God gives to us. According to Scripture, it says this, For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all in the future, even as many as the Lord our God shall call unto him. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your children after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto you and to your children after you. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your house. Now, parents, I'm going to ask you three questions, and if you agree, I would like you to respond with, we do. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises in their behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation as you do for your own? Do you now dedicate your child to God and in humble reliance upon divine grace promise that you will strive to live a godly example for them, that you will pray with and for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will endeavor to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord? Your children 
are gifts from our Heavenly Father. Before the thought of this child ever entered your mind, God had already determined the day that they would be born and that you would be their parents. Their life is therefore an occasion to celebrate and to reflect on the goodness of God. Parents, if you agree, please respond by saying, we are blessed. You always feel blessed, right? It's never stressful. That was my favorite one, we are blessed. This was for everyone, so as a church, I want to invite you to repeat this as well. As a church, we are all part of God's family. As a family, we need to work alongside these parents in the efforts to portray Christ to their child. God calls us to rise to the challenge of being brothers and sisters in Christ, exhibiting godly characteristics so that what is taught at home is the same as what is seen at church. Church, if you agree, please respond by saying, we are family. This is for everyone again. As a family, we must also be willing to encourage one another in our walk with God in order that the purity and integrity of our commitments are maintained. You have heard these parents state their commitment to a greater level of Christ-likeness and for the sake of their child, family, and the church. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of helping these parents in the Christian training of their child? Church, if you are willing, please respond by saying, We are willing. At this time, I'll say a prayer of blessing over each child. We'll start with Olivia. Holy Father, we come today praying your blessing over this child that you have created. Heavenly Father, by the power of our risen Savior, Jesus, by your mercy and your grace, We claim that Olivia will not be conformed to this world system, but instead she will be constantly transformed by the renewing of her mind, that she will know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in her life. Amen. This is Ezra. What's up, buddy? I got to read the prayer so you can't touch the screen like that. This is not your dad's iPad. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come today praying your blessing over this child that you've created. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the risen Savior Jesus, by your mercy and grace, we claim that Ezra will not be conformed to this world system, but he is constantly being transformed by the renewing of his mind, that he might know what is the good, acceptable, pure, and perfect will for God in his life. Amen. Amir, how you doing? Good? Can I pray for you? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come today praying your blessing over this child whom you've created. Holy Father, we pray in the power of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, by your mercy and grace, we claim that Amir will not be conformed to this world's system but instead he is constantly being transformed by the renewing of his mind and that he may know what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is for his life. And the people said, amen. Amen. Hey, Muhammad, can I pray for you? All right. Holy Father, 
we come today praying your blessing over this child that you have created. Heavenly Father, by the power of our risen Savior and by your mercy and grace, we claim that Muhammad will not be conformed to this world system. But instead, he is constantly being transformed by the renewing of his mind that he might know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for his life. And all the people said, Amen. Andon, I'll try to make this quick for you, buddy. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray today your blessing over this child whom you've created. We pray in the power of the risen Savior Jesus and by your mercy and grace, and we claim that Andon will not be conformed to this world system, but instead he is constantly being transformed by the renewing of his mind that he might know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for his life. And all the people said, amen. And Hunter, can I pray with you? Fantastic. Holy Father, we come today praying your blessing over this child whom you've created. Father, we pray by the power of our risen Savior Jesus and by your grace and mercy, we claim that Hunter will not be conformed to the world's system, but instead he is constantly being transformed by the renewing of his mind, and he will know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for his life. And the church said amen. Amen. To help remember this special occasion, we have a certificate for each child. And with the certificate, we also have a fantastic Bible. So Courtney will go ahead and and bring them out to you. The Bible is the Jesus Storybook Bible. As these children's parents, God has positioned you to have the most influence over their life, more than anyone else. And so our prayer for you is that you would seek his grace and his mercy throughout the years of raising your child, because God knows you will need it. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) If it's not funny, you haven't been a parent long enough. (laughs) As we finish passing passing these these out, I would like for us to recognize uh, the goodness of God and celebrate, because this is a time of celebration, to see how good God is and to acknowledge the life that he has given to us. So I want to invite you to stand and clap for God and thank him for the goodness of life that he's given. You'll be seated. That's right. It's for Jesus. That Bible will tell you from beginning to end all about Jesus. It all points to him. Right, Angela? Good job. Good job. Hallelujah. Now, how about we sit down and let me tell you a little bit about the Bible. This is, this is Palm Sunday. And right now we're going to hear a sermon a sermon is a message from God's Word, and it's a, it's a time for us to, to open up our hearts and our minds to, to the truth that God has for us today. Even though the Scriptures were written hundreds or, or thousands of years ago, God has preserved them, and by His Holy Spirit, He still speaks 
to us today because there's one thing about truth that doesn't change, and it's the fact that truth doesn't change. It is true. Today we're talking about salvation has come, and his name is Jesus. We sang a song earlier that said Hosanna. And Hosanna, as we sing that song, Hosanna means save us. It's a cry for help. I remember many things about growing up as a young boy, and I remember many times questioning my mom and dad, especially as a teenager. I thought they were the most irrelevant people that God had ever created. They did not know how the world operated. That was then, and this is now. If I could go back with the wisdom, what little wisdom God has given me now as a parent of nearly 13 years myself, I think I would be a much better child to them. I would show a lot more grace to them. I would listen to them more. I would appreciate the wisdom that they have. And I would realize just because they don't know what the best video game is, they're not irrelevant. They have lots of truth in their life. I wish sometimes I could go back and and do it over again. You know the cool thing is, or one of the cool things, my parents wouldn't want me to do that. They don't love me less because of the times I failed them and the times I mistrusted them or didn't trust them. They love me because their love is not tied to my ability to live up to a certain standard. My love is tied to the simple fact that I am their son and they love me. Now, my desire to go back and be a better son for them is is not tied to them loving me more, but now I am understanding more and more how much they truly did love me, and it makes me want to go and respond to that love in a better way. In the same way with our relationship with God, God's love is not tied to our ability to live up to a standard of perfection. God loves us simply because he has loved his son, and he has shown the love that he has for his son Jesus by raising him from the dead, and for all those who are in Christ. There is nothing but love shining from God. That's an encouraging word that I need to hear on a daily basis. Whether we've been an obedient son to God or obedient daughter to God or whether we've been disobedient this week, God's desires right now to pour love and mercy into our lives. Like a child with a parent... Sometimes we don't think God's plan is the best. And we think, he just doesn't know. I have a problem here that needs to be addressed, and he's trying to talk over here or lead me this way, and it doesn't even apply. Sometimes we think his answers have nothing to do with our problems. But guess what? God goes deeper than the problems that we see. He goes below the surface. Jesus, as we're going to read in just a minute, the triumphal entry when he was coming into Jerusalem, he was welcomed by the crowds and they were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, he's come to save us, save us. And he was heading in, they were excited to welcome him in as this celebration. I want you to listen as we read these verses together and imagine the power of this welcoming that our Lord received. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 and following. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, 
Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord or the Master needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beasts of burden. So the disciples went, and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and, the, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. See, the people of Israel, they were waiting for this Savior, this Messiah to come, to free them from the Roman occupation and to free them from the oppression of the rich. This welcoming of Jesus to Jerusalem was a celebration that was worthy of royalty. The disciples put their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on and the crowds of people took off their cloaks and put them in the road and they were showing their loyalty to Jesus They were saying that salvation has come and his name is Jesus. This isn't the first time that we see this type of display of putting cloaks down for people to walk on in Scripture, this act of humility and loyalty. In the book of 2 Kings, there's a story of King Jehu. He was visited by one of God's prophets. And the prophet told him that he was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. And then the prophet did something strange. He ran away from him quickly. He popped in, hey, you're going to be the king of Israel? See you later. And he runs out because he was told to do that. His visit was so brief that Jehu's servants thought that the messenger was a madman. That guy is crazy. And so look with me in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 11 and following. So when Jehu, Jehu came out of the servant's came out to the servants of his master. They said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. And they said, This is not true. Tell us now. We, We do not know. And he said, Thus. And so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. So he said, you, you know what they said to me. And they, no, no, we don't know what he said. What did he say to you? He says, oh, this is what he said, that God has anointed me king of Israel. So what do they do? They say, dude, man, you're crazy. That guy was nuts. You can't believe a word he said. We don't believe you. You're not good enough to be king. That's not what they did. Look at what they did in the next verse. Then in haste, quickly, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. 
They took their cloaks off and they put it for him to walk on. Humility, loyalty. And they claimed him as the king even before he assumed his kingdom. We see a people who quickly showed their loyalty and submitted to him and showed him the highest honor. They gave him the cloaks that were on their very back. We don't know for sure. We, we imagine, most scholars, by we, I'm not a scholar, but the ones I've read, imagine that he, the people that, that laid their cloaks down before King Jehu had many cloaks. That they were in a position where they had more than one. But that's not the case where we see in Jerusalem. A lot of the people where Jesus was when he was coming into Jerusalem, they were wearing the cloak, and the cloak that they had was the cloak on their back. And so they were throwing everything they had down for him, showing him loyalty. You are our king. You are our savior. They said, son of David. They said, Hosanna. Now to be clear, son of David leaves no room for us to speculate as to what their thoughts of who this guy was. Because son of David meant that he was going to the city that King David had made the capital a thousand years before. They had been waiting for the son of David to come and restore and to save God's people. They believed that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, the king that they were wanting. That's the key word. They had all these assumptions and all these beliefs and this is how the Messiah is going to be and this is who is going to be and you know what? This is how he's going to do it. He's going to overthrow the powers of our day. He's going to bring victory and will be vindicated finally at last. But Jesus was going to bring victory but in a different way. You know, as people, we we do funny things. One of the peculiar things we do is we turn to God when we want something. We're kind of okay without him when things are going as we plan, for the most part. Church attendance spiked, to, uh, especially here in New York City, but all over the country, after September 11th, when everyone was questioning, everyone was seeking answers. Why would this happen? Churches were setting record numbers. People were searching for answers to their questions. Well, the same thing that happens today still happens or was happening then in Jerusalem. These people had issues. They had serious problems that they needed help with, and they were looking to God for answers. And this crowd that believed that Jesus was riding in to overthrow and to solve all the problems that they truly had. It's easy to miss what God is doing when we're blinded by our immediate circumstances. It's easy to miss what God is doing when all we're focusing on are the immediate circumstances of my life. It wasn't just this crowd or all of us who lived after September 11th who were having this tendency, but even one of the disciples closest to Jesus that walked with him the most struggled with this tendency to focus on the immediate at the expense of God's ultimate plan. Look with me in Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. 
and on the third day be raised. And Peter, Peter was a faithful friend. He really was. He loved the Lord. He took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He's passionate. This will not happen to you. And then this man that he makes this impassioned, loving statement to, turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, you don't know what you're doing here. You're compromising the plan of God because you're, you don't want this to happen. You're focused on the earthly things and the things that are happening here. You're not focusing on the things of God. You're blind, and your blindness, Peter, is going to hinder the work of God. Of course, Peter didn't want Jesus to be killed. I mean, what friend wants his friend to endure such an affliction? But God's plan was working. And trying to stop this from happening would go against God itself, himself. I want us to understand that God's plans run deeper than the problems that we face. God's plans run deeper than our surface level problems that we see. Well, this is good news, okay? Because fortunately for Peter, fortunately for the crowd in Jerusalem, Fortunately for you and for me, Jesus came to seek and to rescue the sick. That's us. So salvation is not dependent on our ability to see the fullness of what God is doing. Salvation is dependent on the fullness of what God has done. Salvation is not dependent on you and I seeing everything that God is doing all the time. Our salvation, our rescue, is dependent on what God has done for us through Christ. That is salvation. Salvation has come, and His name is Jesus. This crowd, they thought, we, we want a prophet. But Jesus prophesied later in Matthew 24 that there would be judgment for that city. They wanted a Messiah. But Jesus would be enthroned on a pagan cross of execution just a few days later. They wanted to be rescued. But Jesus was going far beyond their surface issues to rescue them. Jesus was going down to the root of their problems to bring true and ultimate eternal healing. Praying for God's help is something we should all do, but there's also an aspect of it that we should be aware of. When we pray for God to help us, He does more than just fix the issues that we're able to see. But He goes down to the heart of the matter in our lives as well. We may be asking God to heal our marriage, but in order for that to happen... Maybe our heart is what needs to be transformed for that marriage to heal. We may be asking God for reconciliation in our relationship with parents or children, but in order for God to bring that, there has to be healing that needs to be done in our lives. Forgiveness. What about a new job? Certainly God wants me to pay my landlord, 
certainly wants me to pay the bills, but, but maybe there's more that's going to be accomplished during this time of waiting for that job that God has planned for me. Maybe God's going to teach me so much about trusting him during this time that I need to go through this season. One thing we can see from the triumphal entry of Christ is that there's often a mismatch of what we desire and what God does. Many times we find ourselves desiring something from God and then God does something different. I don't want to speak for you, so I'll speak for me. I've been really angered by that before. Because I've gone through circumstances in life and I've known up here, I feel like I know the right answer and I pray fervently for it. It seems to match up with God's word. It's not unbiblical. It's not sinful. It seems to be good for everyone. And God says no. Or he says wait. Those are difficult seasons to go through. But I want you to see the triumphal entry. And I want you to see the goodness of who God is. Look at me. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows everything about you. He knows you. He has not turned his back on you. The same people, or a lot of the same people that were throwing their cloaks down for the Lord in loyalty, in humility. The same Peter that said, you'll never do that, God. And he even said later, I'll never deny you turned their backs on him, and they ran. And were even responsible for his going to the cross, ultimately. Do you know what Jesus did? He stayed faithful. Salvation is here. His name is Jesus. I see the triumphal entry in a different way this year. I don't know if I've ever heard this before, but... I believe it's right, and if it's not, just don't correct me because I like the way I feel. <laughs> There's often a mismatch of what we ask God for and what he does. And I think that should encourage us. I think that should encourage us. It's easy to, to be tempted to look back at this triumphal entry and say, boy, they really messed that up. They were cheering for this, the Messiah. They were looking for help. And man, he, he, just, he didn't do it. So that was a failure. But you see, that's, that's not true. God is a God of grace and sometimes the epitome of irony. Because those shouts of Hosanna, they were true. Because guess what Jesus did? He saved them. He rescued them. The cries of Hosanna, the shouts of Hosanna, God save us. And they were disappointed. Now that disappointment was real and they felt it, but it was temporary because ultimately he has not disappointed. Indeed, the salvation has been come, or the salvation has come through the Messiah. Those Hosannas have not gone in vain. They are justified. He did rescue. In fact, the arrival to the city was indeed the welcoming of the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to be different, but guess what? He was the Messiah. So that welcome he received, praise God. It's a celebration. The Messiah did come that day, even though his intentions and his plan was different than what they thought. That encourages me because a lot of times I see frustration in my heart and in my life because God didn't do things the way I want, but now I see this and I say, you know what, I don't have to. What I can hold on and what I can build my life on is the fact that God is good, he's working a plan that's good for me, it's good for you, and it's good for the whole world. 
Salvation has come and his name is Jesus. That is encouraging. Palm Sunday is a day for us to, to lay down our cloaks, to present ourselves as humble servants and loyal to the Lord. It's also a time for us to realize that there will be times when we will fail this Lord. And we will say, we will never deny you. And we will make mistakes such as denying him. But our salvation is not built upon our ability or our worthiness before God. Your salvation and my salvation is built upon the goodness, the grace, and the work, and the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. As I grew up in my parents' home, I remember questioning their decisions and their rules for me. I could name a few, but we would be here too long. As a teenager and a college student, I had difficulty seeing the wisdom that they had in their life. As a parent now, I realize my children are going to struggle, and already struggle in some ways, with this. It's the way the world works. They will go through times when they'll think, I don't have a clue what's going on. You don't know what reality is, Dad. They're going to go through times when they think I'm totally ignoring their problems and talking about something that's far removed. That's not what I'm talking about. But the older I get, the more I realize the wisdom my parents had. The more I know the the love that they had for me, the more I appreciate their sacrifices on my behalf. Parents, you make huge sacrifices for your children. Don't you? This is encouraging. It hurts when you do all of these big things and you sacrifice and you give and you give and you give and you give. And then they complain. And then they they don't appreciate you. But my love for my children will not go away even if they grow to rebel and to leave and to curse the name of Daniel. My love will remain for them because my love for them is not based upon their ability to live up to a standard, even though sometimes, unlike God, I do lose my temper. I am a very imperfect father. But my love for them is built upon the fact that they are my children. That will never change. God's love is so much greater than the love that we can even have for our own child. His wisdom is so much higher than anything we will ever attain. His faithfulness is never failing. God has proven that our expectations often do not match His answers to our prayers. Our expectations often do not match God's answers. So, this marks the beginning of Holy Week. How about this? How about we pray that God would breathe a a fresh wind into our lives? That we would have a fresh word from him. That we would realize your love is so much greater than anything I have ever known. You're so much more worthy of trust than I've ever realized. And even when we are turning our backs on you and, and running from you, God, you are faithful and you love us. May we know the love of God in a greater way this week 
as we celebrate this last week before Easter. Let's do this. Let's remember that salvation has come. And his name is Jesus Christ. So let's let the celebration begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and on this beautiful, beautiful Palm Sunday with these beautiful children that you have created, with these beautiful parents that you have given these blessings to. God, with the beautiful people in the pews now that are, that are also created in your image, we come here today, people in need of rescue. We come here today as people who are in need of salvation. Father, will you clearly and definitively lead us to trust, to believe on Jesus Christ? To trust in you for our salvation, to trust in the work that you have done for us. Give us the strength to endure those seasons of prayer when our answers from you don't match our desires. Help us to realize in those moments that your love for us is greater than we can imagine and your plan goes much deeper than the problems that we can see. Encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This next portion of our worship service we call a time of response. It's an opportunity for you and I, as hearers of the word of the Lord that Daniel has just brought us, to respond to God. These words are very challenging, right? To, to be people who are understanding that God is actually working plans that go deeper than the problems I'm facing on earth. And to not just understand that, but to live like that. You see, it's a whole nother sermon series about how that one phrase right there plays itself out in your life. Living in response to the salvation that Jesus has brought. And so tonight, I want to invite you to respond in a couple of ways. There are um, some kneeling pads up here. You can come and kneel before the Lord and spend some time in prayer or confession. I'll be standing up here on your left and Winter will be standing on your right. If you would like to pray with somebody, maybe you just need to hear the words spoken to you that Jesus has forgiven you, that he is your salvation, that he does love you, and that he is working plans that are deeper and ahead of the problems that you are facing. So tonight, if you have not experienced the life, the joy of the salvation that is here in Jesus, make Palm Sunday 2014 the night that you lay down your cloak, lay down your life before Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So come to the altar, you who are needy, you who are heavy burdened, and find rest. Let's pray. And after I pray, you can stand and sing. And if God is calling you to respond, you do that there where you're standing or up here at the altar or with winter or I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be the one 
who bore our sin on the cross. He took our place. We deserve to be suffering. We deserve to be shamed and ridiculed and humiliated, to be beaten, because we have dishonored your name. But you sent your son to take our place, and now he stands before you, resurrected and alive on our behalf, arguing our case. Lord, would you break our hearts today of the pride that keeps the cloaks of our lives on our back instead of throwing them on the ground before you. Call us to respond tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond how God is calling you.